Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Well, one man who's not standing is Scott Parker, the uh, coach of, uh, well, the manager, I should say, of uh, Bournemouth. Joining us to talk about Premier League and more out of the UK is commentator Dan O'Hagan. G'day, Dan. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you doing yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. Long time no talk, mate. I, I know you've been a busy, busy man, mate, but uh, I don't know, you might be able to hit Scott Parker up for a coffee at some point soon. Looks like he's got a bit of time on his hands. He has uh, fired in the wake of the weekend's 9-0 record-equaling Premier League defeat at Liverpool. Um, you know, we knew Bournemouth would have a tough season. They've not really brought in players to strengthen. Um, but to go there and to lose 9-0, um, I think only the fourth time that scoreline's been seen in the Premier League's 30-year history. Um, it's tough. But you look at the start they've had, Bournemouth. They've had some fairly unkind fixtures. I think they won their first game against Villa. And then the next three league games, Man City 4-0, Arsenal 3-0, Liverpool 9-0. You look at the three teams they've played in the last three games, what more do the club expect than defeats against those you know, potential title challenges? So the one game they should have won, they did win against Aston Villa. Um, but I think the manner of it, and also Scott Parker's comments about, um, he was very vocal this weekend saying that we need help, we need to strengthen. And that didn't go down too well at all with the club's owners, don't think. Yeah, well, that was something that I thought was interesting was what the, the club put out afterwards. Because, you know, he did say afterwards, which I thought was unusual, when interviewed, he said, uh, well, you know, it could happen again this season. Um and I think that was de- very much designed to put the heat back on the uh, the board at Bournemouth, wasn't it? And they, they basically they have come out and said, we're all in this together, which would suggest that they thought that he was being divisive by with what he was saying. Yeah, it wasn't the best diplomacy from, from Scott Parker. Um, and, you know, it is a very fine line to tread between, in the media, saying what you mean and saying what you want to be heard. And I think... Parker went into those interviews with a clear message to put out to the owners to say, look, we need investment, we need more players. And maybe the money isn't there. Bournemouth are a small club by, by, by Premier League standards and they do have investors. But, you know, to compete with, you know, clubs like, like Liverpool, etc., it's very difficult. You know, we saw with, for example, Norwich last season, clubs who can't spend generally go straight back down again. Um, and to say... There may be more nine mils on the way. It wasn't the smartest language from Scott Parker, but you kind of see what he meant, that they clearly did need help in terms of bringing more players in. Well, exactly. Uh, and he's not the only one, too, because the other news that's just come through is that Jack Ross, the Dundee United boss, has just been sacked after they lost 9 nil to Celtic at the weekend. Yeah, the curse of the nine nils. I think Jack Ross was in charge for 10 weeks. Yes. Um, which is uh, remarkable at Dundee United, but... You know, again, the uh, Scottish League, the, the imbalance there is even worse than the Premier League, where Celtic and Rangers have enormous spending power and the rest really have to try somehow to compete. But, you know, you expect more from a home game than to lose 9-0. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Jack Ross gone after 10 weeks, which shows you know, the management game, certainly um, in the UK, in Europe, it's such um, a tenuous existence to be a manager 
um, at clubs because that kind of defeat and straight away, you know, you fired you down the road again. Uh, and that uh, that gap, I think, um, in Scotland anyway, is only going to get wider with both Rangers and Celtic making the uh, the main draw of the Champions League for the first time. I think, is it in 12 years that they're both there? It is 12 years. It's a long, long time. Yeah, both in the group stage. Uh, Rangers drawn in the group with Liverpool as well, of course, which adds to a real Battle of Britain dynamic. Um, but, you know, for those two clubs, it is great. But as you say, for the wider Scottish Premiership, um, it does just make that divide, that, that wedge between the top two, the old firm and the rest, that bit bigger and that more difficult to bridge, you know, for the likes of Aberdeen and for Hearts, you know, clubs who would like to be in there competing, you know, when you're playing against Rangers and Celtic with the money they have already and also the Champions League money, it becomes impossible. It does. Actually, I suppose that's going to reignite too with Rangers being in that group with Liverpool, reignite all that chat about whether or not the old firm should be in the Premier League. It does. I mean, it's not a, a debate I'm particularly happy about or, or ever really engaged with because, you know, they play in a different country. And Preston, OK, you can say, you know, uh, Swansea, Cardiff play in the English leagues. Yes, they do. But that has been there for many, many years. The Scottish League, until maybe 20 years ago, was really thriving. Um, you know, OK, it's always been, in essence, a two-team race. But you've seen teams like Aberdeen have great success. Dundee United making European finals in the past. Um, but I, I just I don't see ever a situation where Rangers and Celtic would come in and go straight to the Premier League. I think if if they were to come in and start at the bottom, maybe start down at Conference North level and work their way up. But would they do that? Would, would they want or would they want to go straight into you know at least the Championship, which I think would cause a lot of friction with with clubs who are already there trying to get in, into the top flight, of course, for uh, what that can mean in terms of finance for clubs. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I can't see it happening. I would imagine UEFA and FIFA would have something to say about it as well, mate. So it's probably a moot point at the end. But, I mean, while we're talking about it, let's have a quick look at those Champions League groups. Liverpool, Ajax, Napoli and Rangers in Group A, that does look like a fun group. And for Liverpool, maybe not the easiest because they, they don't have a great record against Napoli. No, they don't. Um, as you say, it is a fun group. Um, you know, the competition the last couple of years has been absolutely incredible, hasn't it? You know, the drama we've seen from the group stage, from the knockout stage. And, um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool-Napoli, um, you know, that'll be a lot of fun across the uh, two meetings. But, um, yeah, I, I think Liverpool, the way they've begun the, the season, it's not uh, obviously the one that we get 9-0, but before that, you say, you know, are there maybe one or two signs that the Jurgen Klopp here has begun to maybe have its first wobble. Mm. Um, that we, the weekend result obviously put that uh, to one side maybe, but we'll see how they do without uh, Sadio Mane and whether that has uh, just given the, the, the team a slight imbalance. Yeah, I think that you're onto something there. Uh, and and the people do talk about that seven-year itch with Klopp as well because that's what happened at Dortmund. It all went wrong in the seventh year, didn't it? Yeah, his final season, they I think they were in the relegation places for a long time before they pulled away and ended up you know, for, you know, quite safe in the top half of the table. But yeah, I mean, Klopp's been there a long time now. You kind of forget how long he's been there. And he's become such a kind of permanent fixture um, at Liverpool. But um, yeah, I mean, you can't knock his success in the last seven years. Remarkable. But, you know, all managers have a shelf life. You know, beat Alex Ferguson's 20-odd years, Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. There comes a point when a coach, the players have heard all he's got to say. I'm not saying that's now for Jurgen Klopp, but he will come to a point. But I just wonder, as I say, whether the sale this summer of Sadio Mane, who is such an important player to their their attacking shape, 
uh, whether that hasn't really been addressed yet. And um, yeah, we, we shall see. But Klopp obviously under no pressure at the moment, but certainly I think the start's not been as they wanted until the uh, game on Saturday against Bournemouth. Yeah, and of course they, they do look short in midfield and it was... Uh, you know, they, he said before the Bournemouth game, I think it was, that, uh, you know, we don't need anything, we're not going to do anything, we've got enough here, but obviously they have injuries. It sounds like he's fallen out with Naby Cater, if you read between the lines as well. So he's now changed the tune and ahead of uh, the game against Newcastle, now he's saying they might look. Uh, Sander Berg has been linked with them from Sheffield United, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. H- how do you think Rangers go in this group with an Ajax that's rebuilding? Napoli, who are reasonably strong, and uh, that Battle of Britain-type uh, thing that will hang around Liverpool, particularly when it comes to the Ibrox, uh, game at Ibrox. I think you mentioned Ibrox. That's the factor. The three home games for Rangers are absolutely huge. We know what Ibrox is on European nights. We saw last season in the Europa League um, that Rangers, when they have that crowd behind them and Ibrox is full and it's under the floodlights, anything can happen. Um, so, yeah... You know, that Liverpool game at Ibrox will be absolutely wonderful. It'll be a proper occasion. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it is a tough group. You, I think on paper you look towards maybe Ajax and Liverpool as the two to qualify, but Napoli close. But don't rule Rangers out from you know, pulling up a few surprises there and taking points off some of the, the more established Champions League teams in that group because, as I say, Ibrox is their secret weapon. It is indeed. Uh, group B has Atletico Madrid, who haven't started great. Porto, who could be anything. Leverkusen, who look a, a shadow of last season's team. And Club yeah. Bruges, who have probably lost their best players. This one feels like it's a bit of a coin toss. Do, do Atletico, uh, do you think, win this group by default? I think so, yeah. I mean, it is, as you say, a wide-open group because you mentioned Leverkusen. who's had, it until the weekend's win uh, at Augsburg, a, a dreadful start to the season. Um Club Brugge, the Belgian champions. Um, but yeah, I think Atletico Madrid in that section, you'd kind of lean on as being the team to to back. Um, very seasoned in the competition. Um, very strong squad. Great coach. Um, and yeah, three other teams who may be... Um, Porto, you mentioned there, they are the kind of dark horse because you're not sure what Porto you're going to get because they're a team every year who have to sell their best players to, um, to, to bring in money to, to reshape the whole squad. Um, so you're not sure what you're going to get. But I think, yeah, that group, certainly Group B, you'd look towards maybe Atletico Madrid as being a fairly, fairly easy qualifiers um, in pole position. And group C, I, I just look at it and I feel for Victoria Pleasant. Um, they're obviously in <laughs> pot D. They have got Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Inter Milan. None of those teams will be happy about this group because it is a tough group, isn't it? And uh, Pleasant, I think if they got a point out of this group, they'd be doing well. They would be doing well. Um, I think we saw was it Slavia Prague a few years ago when they got a similar draw. Their uh, their representative of the draw just laughed when they saw the teams <laughs> they were drawn against. Um, and for Pilsenia, you kind of feel the, the same because you know those three super clubs. But for me, obviously, the, the big one is Barca, Bayern, Lewandowski's return, isn't it? That's the big story in that group. Um, but how will, will Barca do? Obviously, last season we're in in, in the Champions League, dreadful. Um, I think Bayern this year will will take some stopping um, to win the competition. Um, And you look at Inter Milan again, um, what Inter will turn up in the Champions League. But yeah, for Pilzenia, you have to feel sorry because, you know, that draw is absolutely thankless. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, I mean, Bayern so far seem to be scoring goals for fun. They don't seem to be missing Lewandowski, but I guess we won't really know how that goes until they start playing, you know, the the PSGs and, and, and teams like that, or well, the Barcelonas and the Inters, I suppose. 
Yeah, I did the game at the weekend when they were only only drew with Gladbach, but Gladbach's goalkeeper Jan Sommer made a record 19 saves. And since Lewandowski, they have shared the goals. They've had nine different scorers so far in the Bundesliga, uh, which tells a story. Um, they've had some big wins, obviously, beat Bochum away 7-0, Frankfurt away 6-1. But the weekend, they were... Gladbach showed that if you do sit back, I think you, um, Nagelsmann said that Gladbach parked not one bus but two, um, <laughs> and the goalkeeper had a, had, a, had a wonderful game. Bayern showed at the weekend they're not entirely invincible. They're, they are fallible. There are weaknesses there. Um, so although I think they will have a good run in the Champions League and, and will be in there as a potential winner, they're not the perfect team by any stretch yet. Group D has Spurs in it with Eintracht Frankfurt, who are, of course, the Europa League winners from last season. And then the two teams who apparently, I'm not sure how much we can put in this, but apparently have both been trying to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, Marseille and Sporting Lisbon. Yeah, obviously Sporting, the Bivy, that was his first club, so there'd be that link to go back to where it all began for Ronaldo. Uh, Marseille, a club who, you know, for many years were one of the strongest in France, but the PSG emergence has kind of knocked them down a peg or two. Um, and Spurs and Frankfurt, you know, you look at Frankfurt, the team that won the Europa League last season, they've been picked apart, sadly. Um, Philip Kostic there, left winger, who assisted so many goals, has now moved on to Juventus. Uh, there's talk that uh, Daichi Kamada, their Japanese playmaker, is going to be off to Benfica. Uh, Martin Hinteregger has retired. Um, so they're in transition. They've had a difficult start. They won um, at Bremen at the weekend, 4-3 in the Bundesliga. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think Frankfurt will have a great season. But, but, but like Ibrox in the Champions League, their home games will be incredible. The atmosphere um, at Deutsche Bank Park when that place is full and the fans have got their choreos is incredible. But I don't think they'll be strong in that group. Spurs, you know, could be the winners in that group, I think. I think um, certainly of the four clubs in it, I'd say Spurs are maybe the more settled. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, because Conte has a terrible record in Europe doesn't he? I mean, even when he was at Inter, he had a terrible record in the Champions League. I think he only got out of the group once. Um, so I did think about that, and then I looked at everybody else in the group, and I thought, well, they should get out of this group by default. Yeah, I mean, Sporting, last season, they um, surprised Dortmund, uh, didn't they? But I don't... I, I look at the four teams there, and I say, Spurs look the ones who are more cohesive and more settled. Frankfurt, I'm afraid you can write off now because, as I say, they've just been picked apart since their Europa League win. Uh, Marseille, I'm not entirely convinced the French League um, PSG side will offer much in, the, in that competition this season. And Sporting, you know, as I say, not especially strong. So I think Spurs, as you said, by default in that group will probably be the team to uh, to take top spot. Now, Group E has Chelsea uh, as the standout team in that, I think. AC Milan, though, will probably push them. I'm uh, not sure what we'll get out of RB Salzburg. They've got goals in them. Um, and then Dinamo Zagreb is a bit of a smoky. Yeah, I mean, Salzburg, again, like Frankfurt, a team every year, they, they seem to get their best players taken away. Obviously, Erling Haaland a, a couple of years ago. Um, Rasmus Christensen moved on this year. Brendan Aronson's moved on. Uh, those two to Leeds, of course, in the, in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I mean, them and Zagreb, the outsiders. But... I think Chelsea and Milan, yeah, Milan obviously the last couple of years reborn, not quite back to where they were in the 90s, but a club who once again are at the at the very peak of Italian football. And Chelsea, again, a side who've, you know, had what, what are they, seven points in the Premier League, a so-so start under Thomas Tuchel this season. You wonder how they're going to um, shape up as the season wears on. But I think in that group, the top two in some order will be Chelsea and Milan. Group F has Real Madrid, who, well, you know, put them through now. 
Um, RB Leipzig, who have had a, a pretty ordinary start to the Bundesliga. Shakhtar Donetsk, who uh, don't have any Brazilians anymore. And Celtic. So, I, I mean, it's really a battle for second in this group. Uh, what have you made of Leipzig so far this season? They've had a difficult start. Uh, Domenico Tedesco, the coach, uh, winnings at Schalke, had a notorious second season syndrome where they finished second in his first year. Then the second season, they almost got relegated um, and he lost his job. So a lot of talk in Germany is that happening again. Has the Tedesco method, uh, does that only work for one season before the players uh, lose faith or, or, or whatever? It all falls apart because right now Leipzig in the table they are only ninth. They've taken five points from their first four games in the Bundesliga. Um, but they do have a, the best player in last season's German top flight, Christopher Nkunku, who has begun this season really well. He's the current, I think, top scorer in the Bundesliga already. Um, so, so he's an asset. If they keep him, which I think they should do, um, then they'll be quite strong. But as I say, they've had a difficult first um, few games of the season. And I just wonder whether Tedesco will be the coach who will be there um, come Christmas because um, as I say at Schalke had this dreadful second season and I think uh, Leipzig at the moment the jury's out Yeah um, I mean they've got Timo Werner back but it, it feels like mm. a, quite an unbalanced Leipzig side I mean they, they they seem to be struggling at the back They're, certainly they've shipped a few goals Yeah and that was always their strongest point they always had one of the best defences in the Bundesliga the last three or four years but you look at that squad it is imbalanced you look at the attackers they have on their books Andre Silva uh, and Kunku, you said Paulsen, Timo Werner, you mentioned. Um, but then you look at the other end and they're, they're leaking goals. They've been without their first-choice goalkeeper, Peter Galacci, the last couple of match days in the Bundesliga, uh, which might offer some, um, some, some, some clues to why they're struggling. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just think there, it's not a happy ship. Um, and I, I just wonder whether Tedesco, the coach, will be there for the long haul because it's been such a, a shaky start for them. So, I mean, if you're trying to pick a team to finish second in Real Madrid in Group F uh, out of Leipzig, Shakhtar and Celtic, where, where would you go? I think Shakhtar, obviously, because of what's happened with Ukraine and, and the fact they've lost their, their overseas players, it will be very tough to compete. But uh, I'm sure the passion their players will want to show on the Champions League stage will be incredible. So they'll be competitive, but I don't see them as being a team to finish in the top two places. Celtic... You know, year in, year out, they've underperformed in this competition. Um, and they, with Ange Postacoglu in charge, they've been stronger. They've been a little bit more more resilient, maybe. But yeah, I, th- I think second place is wide open. I think, it, for me, it's between Leipzig and Celtic for that second place behind Real Madrid. But um, we'll see. I think... And Kunku, for me, could make the difference to shade it for Leipzig to finish in second place. Yeah, all right. Uh, then in Group G, Man City should win it over Sevilla, Dortmund and Copenhagen. Um, I mean, Sevilla and Dortmund both look uh, like they'll be duking it out for second. They're decent sides, but probably won't be able to touch Manchester City. You'd think not. Um, I think uh, Dortmund this season, they were beaten at home um, by Werder Bremen when they let in, I think, three goals in the last six or seven minutes. Um, but looked good at the weekend. They were much more resilient. They they won one nil away to head to Berlin with a very kind of rugged, un-Dortmund-like display. But um, yeah, I think in that group, Man City certainly. Um, you can't see too many, uh, giving them too many problems. Uh, Copenhagen again, like Pilsenia, you kind of feel sorry that they're in that uh, company because it'd be tough for the Danes to to um, compete against uh, the likes of Dortmund, Sevilla, and Man City. But um, yeah, Man City, and then you know it's 
way for thin between Sevilla and Dortmund is to who comes second because uh, yeah, those the games between those two clubs will decide who comes second place, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there's a little bit of excitement here in New Zealand about this group because uh, there is a, a young Kiwi um, who's part of the all White setup at Copenhagen playing in the midfield. So uh, we might it'll be it'll be the first one since I think Danny Hay, first first Kiwi to play in the in the Champions League since then. So that'll be a, a group that gets a little bit of a little bit of love down this this part of the world, mate. Uh, finally, Group H, PSG, Juve, Benfica, and Maccabi Haifa. Um, I think you can probably write Maccabi Haifa out of this, but Benfica is a tricky third team to have for both Juve and for PSG, um, particularly with that big Portuguese sort of presence in Paris. It could almost be like a home game for Benfica when they play PSG there. It could as well. And Benfica, we saw last season, pull off one or two surprises in the competition as well. They beat Barcelona, didn't they, in the group stage. So, yeah, I mean, I think you look, obviously, PSG, is this their year? It's the one trophy they absolutely crave, but the one which eludes them every single season. Um, It's almost become, you know, a sport now to kind of um, guess at which point their meltdown happens in the competition. But um, at some point, with the money they have and the squad they have, they will get it right. Um, I think, obviously, they will get out of this group. Um, but, um, but, yeah, how far they will go, we shall have to see. Because, obviously, that whole dynamic of, you know, can they keep all those superstars happy? Are they happy with each other? Um, you know, every year it, kind of, it seems to rear its head. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Juve and PSG, you'd say the top two teams in that group, maybe. But yeah, Maccabee Haifa, you know, like Pilzenia and like Copenhagen, there's always one team you think have just got a, a real thankless task of hiding to nothing, and uh, it's Maccabee Haifa in that uh, in that particular section. Yeah, indeed it is. All right, Dan, uh, we should uh, take a quick look at the EPL because we've got a midweek round kicking off tomorrow, um, and uh, that that's, uh, seems to have come early, but I suppose that's what having a World Cup in the middle of the season will yeah. do to you. Uh, what have you made of, of, of the uh, Premier League so far? Who's impressed you? Well, I think obviously Arsenal being top of the table with four wins. You can argue they've not really had a major test yet. Uh, midweek, they are at home to Aston Villa, which again, given their form and given Villa's real slump, should be another Arsenal win. That make it five from five, and that gets interesting all of a sudden. Um, but, um, yeah, I think you look at Man City, they showed good resilience the weekend, you know, to come from 2-0, almost 3-0 down to Palace to win 4-2. Um, but I think for me, the surprise teams have been Brighton and Leeds. Uh, Brighton especially, I think, um, the way they're playing there, their they're brand of football at the moment under Graham Potter, and what they've done in terms of transfers and, you know, bringing players in for reasonably small fees from clubs you wouldn't really look at to to, to be traditional talent hubs. Incredible story. You know, they're on 10 points. They're only two points off the top at the moment. Um, great story at Brighton. Leeds, Jesse Marsh, obviously last season kept them up. Um, an American coach in the Premier League. There was a lot of talk, you know, how would he get on? Would the players take him? Would, would he be taken seriously? I think the bottom line is he, he has been in it and they're doing really well. Again, they've signed well. I mentioned the players they brought in from, um, from Salzburg, Aronson and, and Rasmus Christensen. Um, yeah, Leeds are looking really good at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think of the teams have impressed me. I think uh, Brighton are the one that really stand out. Yeah, uh, Jesse Marshall's an interesting one. Now, you you cover the Bundesliga a lot more than you cover the Premier League in your job. Uh, and he failed at Leipzig coming from Salzburg. Why was that? Because I, when that Leeds made that appointment, I, I felt it, it, it was a, a bit of a gamble. 
It was a complete breakdown in tactical systems. I think what Jesse Marsh did uh, really well at Salzburg and did really well in MLS and is doing really well now at Leeds, they play a more direct way of football. It's a more quickly front-to-back, um, not long ball, but very direct. Uh, Leipzig had a squad um, built and based around possession football. And the time they had to transition between the old style of play under Julian Nagelsmann to the style of play under Jesse Marsh wasn't long enough. So when Marsh came in, the players weren't sure which way to play and it all fell apart. I think he was gone by, by late November uh, at Leipzig last season. But clearly, you know, he's a great coach. He's been schooled in that Red Bull football um, empire, if you like, of, of playing a certain way. And at Leipzig, for some reason, his tactics just didn't work because there wasn't time to implement them. Um, and the players they had in place weren't the right players to play that system. But that didn't make him a bad coach. And, and Leeds, I'm surprised he got a, a, a job as big as Leeds in the Premier League so quickly after what happened at Leipzig. I thought he meant to go and take a step back to a league like Austria or Switzerland, maybe, to kind of um, start again. But at Leeds, obviously, last season kept up. And this season, brilliant start. They've gone very well, gone very well. Certainly um, a team that I thought would be battling it out at the other end of the table um, at the beginning of the season, Dan, when when, when things came together. Uh, what about uh, the transfer window? How much more business do you expect to be done? Because, man, uh, the Premier League teams have spent a shed load of cash this time round. Yeah, I think, obviously, I think you will see transfers in the next couple of days um, how big they'll be, I don't know. I think maybe the the biggest signings have already been made. But you mentioned Liverpool and their injuries may force them into the market to um, to, to bring in reinforcement there. They won't, I think their main target long-term is Jude Bellingham at Dortmund. They won't get him in this window. So maybe a stopgap signing, um, as you say, someone like Sander Berger from Sheffield United. Um, but yeah, I don't think you'll see any mega signings in the next couple of days, but you'll see clubs just trying to fill one or two holes. Um, it always seems to me to be a bit odd that we, we start the season before the window shuts. So um, there's this kind of phony war the first three or four weeks of the, the seasons where clubs are saying, well, actually, do we need to bring in players here, there? Surely it makes more sense to start the season with the squad you're going to finish with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it'll be an interesting couple of days. It always is. But I think certainly the big, big signings have already happened. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I can't see much more happening. I don't know if there's that much more cash kicking around, mate, to be fair. Uh, but we will see. Uh, Premier League clubs always seem to surprise us. Dan, thanks very much for giving us so much of your time tonight. Always good to chat. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Eh? Go well. You too, pal. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.